One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. This episode is brought to you by Charles Stanley Wealth Managers. Charles Stanley is committed to providing financial peace of mind through personalized financial planning and expert investment management. To find out more, visit www.charles-stanley.co.uk. Investment involves risk. Hello and welcome to Unheard. I'm Freddie Sayers. The question of nuclear weapons hovers over the war in Ukraine. It's unanswered and threatening. Many voices in the West pretty much dismiss the possibility that President Putin would ever deploy nuclear weapons as just sabre-rattling or an attempt to bully. But not everyone is so certain. Kevin Ryan is a retired Brigadier General from the US Army. He's former Chief of Staff for the US Army's Space and Missile Defense Program. He also served as US Defense Attaché to Moscow, so he knows something of the region, and he was Deputy Director for Strategy, Plans and Policy for the Army. He's now a Senior Fellow at Harvard Kennedy School's Belfer Center for Science and International Affairs. Unlike most analysts, he worries that it is possible, even likely, that the Russian army might deploy a nuclear weapon. We wanted to examine his reasoning and I'm delighted to say he joins us now. Hi Mr Ryan. Good afternoon. Before we get into the, the big question of the likelihood of a nuclear situation, could I just take a couple of smaller detours? What about the, the Nord Stream pipeline? Because we've had people on this show, in fact Fiona Hill, a former senior security uh, analyst in the White House, she was one of the first people to suggest it could actually have been the Ukrainians. Meanwhile, that's dismissed by some people in the West as kind of propaganda. Some people even think it's American propaganda. There's all sorts of kind of confusion over the Nord Stream question. Do you have a view on that? Uh, well, I, I'm not privy to confidential information, but I have been reading the papers and seeing the reports and leaks that uh, alleged that the CIA, for example, had intelligence that the Ukrainians were planning something like this, that they may have gone ahead and done it. Uh, uh, those could very well be credible. Ukraine would benefit to some degree by closing off uh, Russian oil supplies into Germany. At, at that time, if you remember, there was still debate going on as to whether uh, Europe would completely reject Russian uh, energy sources. Uh, that would have taken the debate out of their hands and made a decision. I, I can believe that the Ukrainians might have done this, yes. So you don't think then it, it stretches plausibility that they would do something against the advice of their US allies and their largest, the people they rely on most for their current offensive, 
and take a risk like that when the pipeline wasn't even being used anyway? I don't know. It's it seem none of the available options seem particularly likely, but you think it is? It is possible. Yes, I, I, you know the uh, both sides in this war. If if we count two sides, Russia and Ukraine, uh, both sides in this war have their own reasons for fighting. Uh, Russia believes it's entitled to and wants uh, to control Ukraine and create a buffer zone. Ukraine believes it's entitled to its sovereignty. Uh, they are going to defend those, uh, pursue those national goals, whether or not anybody supports them or not. Uh, uh, Ukraine uh, has convinced the West that it should be supported, and and I think that's the right situation right now. We are supporting them, but if we withdraw that support, if we give conditions to that support which uh, make Ukraine give up on their what they consider their rights, their national interests, uh, I think you'll find even more disagreement. Russia was cautioned by China, uh, uh, allegedly, reportedly, not to invade Ukraine. They went ahead and did it anyway. They were asked by a uh, Chinese leader to turn down the rhetoric about nuclear threats. They did not. They pursued them and continued doing that. So, uh, yeah, I think all sides are, uh, there are a lot of things happening right now, and we don't all agree on every aspect of the war effort. In a way, that leads us quite nicely into the, the background for the, the larger discussion, because your assessment, and you wrote a piece that we published in Unheard, is that a Russian nuclear strike of some kind is much more likely than most voices in the West give it credence for. What is the, the basis of that assertion? First, let me say that, you know, I'm not, I'm not the first one to say that this is a serious threat. Uh, Fiona Hill and others have called it serious also. But uh, not many people say it is likely. And if you say a threat is not likely, no matter how serious you might try to paint it, it's not urgent. And if it's not urgent, a, a government, certainly, and a lot of people will not put it in the top of their to-do pile of, uh, of tasks and missions. So my, my contribution to this discussion is to say that, you know, actually this is likely to happen if uh, one uh, critical uh, uh, condition is met, and that is if if Putin believes he is going to lose this war. Now, what does losing the war mean? It, it, to me, it means what he has talked about, that he will defend the territories that they've annexed. That includes Zaporizhia, Kherson, Donbass, or Donetsk and Lugansk. So if he's going to lose those, if Ukraine's offensive would, do, uh, would cut the land bridge, say, to Crimea, or take back a lot of that land, he would believe he was losing the war and he would ask his military to uh, increase the violence, to step up, escalate, if you will. And if they said, we can't, we're, we're already losing to the Ukrainians now, his only recourse would be a nuclear weapon. And, and so to me, it seems like a very logical progression and one that hinges on Ukraine's success in, in this offensive or in this broader in this war. But why is it that you come to that conclusion when most of your colleagues in the military establishment don't? You know, what, what special insight do you have, I guess? That's got to be the question. What, what, you, you don't have a keys to Putin's mind any more than, than I do. 
what, what makes you so, so confident that he would consider it? Well, I look for indicators that uh, this is more than just rhetoric. Uh, it, you know, Putin is either a bully or a bluffer. I, I, I don't believe he's a blunt, I'll bully. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't believe he's a bluffer. Uh, I think he does bully other nations. So, so what would be some indicators that uh, Russia is preparing act to actually use its nuclear weapons? Uh, uh, one indicator was a recent change of command of the operation in uh, Ukraine. They call it the special military operation, but the war there. Uh, after cycling through about five or six different commanding officers for that war in the first year, Putin decided to assign the chief of the general staff, that's a senior most uh, officer in the military, and the head of the for ground forces and the head of the air forces as the three generals in charge of this operation. Well, that was unprecedented in modern history, not since World War II has the chief of the general staff headed an operation for Russia. So it underscores the fact that Putin is claiming that they're in a fight for their survival. This is the most uh, dire situation they've had. So, I mean, just to, to push back on that, I mean, that could equally well just be that he's taking it very seriously. It's not going as well as he had hoped. They're suffering a lot of casualties. It's, it's become a, the major issue for the Russian government, and he needs his top brass on the ground. It doesn't necessarily have anything to do with nuclear, does it? It does in this regard. According to Russian nuclear doctrine, uh, those three officers are the three officers who control the use of tactical nuclear weapons once an authority has been given by Putin to use them. So he has, in fact, put in charge of this operation the very three officers who would not only know how to uh, use these tactical weapons, but they rehearse that, they, they practice it in, uh, and during peacetime. And they are the most loyal officers in the military. So they would be unlikely to ignore Putin's uh, order to use nuclear weapons. So in this case, uh, actually, they, they are a big signal of the increased possibility of the use of nuclear weapons. Okay. What else? Last fall, uh, the Russian uh, military was using KH-55 cruise missiles to... Uh, as part of airstrikes against Ukraine. And Ukrainian uh, observers uh, suggested that these uh, cruise missiles, which had dummy warheads on them, they didn't have their nuclear warheads, they had dummy warheads on them, they, they suggested that these cruise missiles were being used as decoys so that Ukrainian air defenses wouldn't shoot down the actual uh, conventional, if you will, explosive warhead-mounted uh, missiles being fired into Ukraine. But that doesn't make any sense, though, for a country like Russia, which is short on missiles and uh, uh, cruise missiles and ballistic missiles. Uh, it makes no sense at all to shoot those weapons in and waste those missiles. What does make sense is if they were test-firing test these Cold War vintage missiles, making sure that the uh, one of the ways of delivering their tactical nukes was tried and true and that, that those systems still worked. So I think he's already rehearsed a nuclear attack on, on Ukraine. 
What about the, the movement into Belarus? That's something that people have been anxious about, the idea that they're moving nuclear weapons into Belarus. Is that relevant to your argument? Absolutely. Uh, it's another sign, a very uh, a visible sign, that Putin and his inner circle see uh, these weapons as something that might be needed, something that might be used. You know, he has uh, access to uh, these tactical nuclear weapons throughout his country, and he can move them right up to the uh, uh, border with Ukraine or the Baltics. Um, why would he need to move additional nuclear weapons into a country like Belarus? Uh, well, part of it might be, uh, if he's bluffing, part of it might be uh, to scare the West and to, to intimidate us. But, you know, Russia's not a rich country. And they'd have a lot of money to spend on bluffs and, and fakes and feints. Uh, when they spend real money, when they move nuclear weapons, unprecedented in Russian since, since the Cold War, anyway, uh, then that also indicates that they may have plans for these nuclear weapons. So how would you respond to the argument that all three of those um, things are moves that they would want to make to signal that they might use nuclear weapons? In other words, to generate conversations like the one me and you are having on this show, you know, perhaps we're just playing into what they want here, which is get everyone really anxious about nuclear weapons. It means that we fold or that there's a, a some sort of deal is struck more willingly. H how can we know the difference? First of all, I think you're right that the Russians are doing this to force a conversation to signal us that they are willing to use these weapons. That's the whole point of my article. They are willing to do it. And it is likely that they can do it and will do it. Now, would they be thrilled if the West stepped in or Ukraine stepped in today and said, you know, we're, we don't want this to happen. We don't want that to escalate, uh, to be the way of escalation. So we will come to the uh, negotiating table or we're willing to talk about a ceasefire. Well, then they will have avoided using a nuclear weapon. And, and that would be wonderful from their perspective. But I don't think they see that that's going to happen. I don't see that's going to happen. Do you believe that Ukraine is going to stop fighting tomorrow because nuclear weapons show up in Belarus? I don't, I don't think so. In fact, I don't think Ukraine will stop fighting when a nuclear weapon is finally used. I think we will, for the first time in history, have a nuclear battlefield where fighting, conventional fighting continues while nuclear weapons are, have either been used or might still be used in a war. So before I come on to that nightmare scenario, what do you say to people who, I mean, there's been a lot of attempts to analyze Vladimir Putin's personality and strategy. One thing we do, of the few things we know with certainty, one thing we do know is that he is a, a creature of the Cold War. He was a KGB officer. He was very much active in the final decades of the Cold War. And some people say that actually that's one aspect that you can rely on, that that sort of terror that sense from the Cold War that nuclear weapons is really a zone you don't go into is likely to still be there with him. Whilst, ironically, if he was actually replaced for a younger, maybe more nationalistic, more reckless leader, that guarantee might not be there. Do, what do you say to that? I think, first of all, the concern that a, a younger, more nationalistic leader might uh, supplant him or be the person waiting when he steps down to take control. I think that's a very real concern. Uh, 
whether or not uh, he is uh, still has what we might call the Cold War attitude toward nuclear weapons, that they are a civilization ending step, uh, th this is really a misreading of what was going on in the Cold War. Uh, while it's true that both the Soviet Union and the United States, uh, United Kingdom and France, the nuclear powers, all wanted to avoid a global nuclear war, that is a third world war or a exchange of nukes onto the homelands of those nuclear powers. It is not true that people uh, thought nuclear weapons could not be used as part of a war in Europe in, in, during the Cold War. In fact, both sides practiced this. Uh, both sides had tactical nuclear weapons deployed uh, on either side of the inner German border. Uh, when I was a, a, an officer in the military and stationed in Germany for eight years during the 1980s, uh, we practiced regularly uh, decontaminating, uh, uh, checking for radiation, figuring out downwind messages and where plumes would be going. And we practiced using nuclear weapons as a way of stopping the Russian hordes. So, so this is not new to Vladimir Putin. He has it in his background that these kinds of weapons might be necessary in a, in a conflict. So you, you use this phrase tactical nuclear weapon. What does that actually mean? Because some people I've heard say that it's pretty much a fiction. It's, a, it's a, something that people have made up, that it's never really been done. It's, it makes it sound friendly and plausible, whilst actually a nuclear bomb is a nuclear bomb. I would agree with that 100%. It is a fiction of sorts. You know, it's tactical only if you weren't the target. Uh, if it, it's strategic, if it hits your homeland or your, uh, or your capital. Um, but there are some differences between the groupings of nuclear weapons that we're talking about here. Uh, tactical nuclear weapons generally have a smaller yield. Uh, they would be weapons that would be available for use for ground commanders or naval or air commanders uh, in a local or regional conflict like uh, the war in Ukraine. Uh, both sides recognize that these kinds of weapons might be needed at, at a level below the strategic, below the global thermonuclear holocaust level that we were talking about. That's why. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. The United States all... Uh keeps these kinds of weapons in storage sites in Netherlands and Germany and so on and so on. So what is the reality then, this, this, the mini-nuke? I mean, it's still pretty maxi, obviously. What, what, what would a potential nuclear strike look like then? What, what do you think the most realistic scenario would be? Where would it be detonated? Would it be up in the upper atmosphere, as some people have suggested, to kind of warn people off? Would it be actually be on Ukrainian territory? What do you think? I personally believe that it would happen on Ukrainian territory, or maybe on territory that Russia calls annexed territories now, but, you know, Ukraine would say is occupied or seized territory from it. So somewhere in within the boundaries of what, what you and I would consider the authentic to Ukraine uh, for pre-2014 even. Uh, that's what I think we are talking about. And then the target could be a military formation, could be the destruction of as many Ukrainian military forces as possible, or it could be a city in which uh, decision-making is happening, military decision-making, or uh, maybe a logistical hub, uh, there are many cities like that uh, in Ukraine. They don't all have to be Kyiv, but Kyiv is one possibility. And when you drop a, a nuclear weapon on a place like that, the first thing that happens is tens of thousands of Ukrainians are harmed and killed and hurt, and uh, there's extreme damage. But the damage is basically within a, let's say, uh, less than a five-mile radius uh, from the impact. If if we're talking about a 12 kiloton weapon like what was dropped on Hiroshima, so if you if you put a center a, a target in the middle of Kiev, and then drew a five mile radius circle around it, that's where all the people, all the destruction would happen. And then beyond that, there would be some radiation, there would be some blowdown, there would be some damage and so on. But the the casualties would fall way off. So I'm not trying to make this sound less than it is, but I'm trying to give some answer to your question, which let me imagine what the impact is. But both of those scenarios, so one thing you mentioned is inside what they consider now to be the new boundaries of Russia. That's the rhetoric inside Russia, that this is now part of Russia. So it does seem to stretch plausibility that they would detonate a nuclear weapon within their own country to wipe out what they would now consider a Russian city. These are people who they're <laughs> hoping are going to become loyal Russian citizens. It's, a, it's in defense of these people that they say they've invaded. The idea that they would take out many, many hundreds of thousands of them in a nuclear weapon seems 
even for an illogical leader, kind of to stretch the bounds of plausibility, doesn't it? And then you and Kiev, you mention, even Kiev is is a major cultural center, which Russians consider to be an absolute core part of its history. It's got cathedrals and architecture, and I, I, it, it would seem extraordinary and unlikely to destroy it. Yes, you're exactly right again. Uh, I don't want to use Kiev as an example, but I, I needed to, something to, for us to talk about. I, I don't even want to uh, name possible city targets and so on, because I realize that for the people in Ukraine and the Russians living in the region, these are not theoretical discussions like like uh, like uh, what we're talking about here. This is real life to them. And uh, so I don't want to needlessly alarm Ukrainian civilians. I'm talking really, my comments are talk, uh, directed to the political and military leaders back in the capitals. But let me tell you some of the things Russia has done to mitigate that. Now, first of all, they've withdrawn and evacuated many civilians into Kherson and Zaporizhia uh, provinces. They've pulled them, told them, get on the bus, you're coming back uh, to the east, so that because they knew about the counteroffensive. But maybe they also knew that it was possible that uh, the Russian military might be destroying cities in this region too, either with conventional or nuclear weapons. So, so some of, in some ways, Russia has taken steps along that line. And let's remember one more thing about the Russians. Uh, they want victory in this war. Uh, they're willing to do a lot of things. They've already destroyed, leveled Bakhmut, and then they stand on top of it and claim it's a victory. Uh, the Russians, during the Napoleonic War, burned Moscow to the ground to avoid the French being able to take it. Uh, if they're willing to do these kinds of things to places that they consider their own, then I see no reason why uh, a tactical nuclear weapon to stop a war, to, to prevent a total defeat, I see no reason why that wouldn't be on the table. Just to stay with that hor horrific scenario one stage longer. I mean, you mentioned a five mile radius. Is it not true that the radiation would go potentially for many hundreds of miles um, and many, many people would die of radiation sickness? There would be plumes traveling across the continent of Europe. Um, I mean, it is pretty much the Armageddon scenario. The short answer to that question is no, it is not Armageddon. Uh, and rather than me try to paint the mental picture for the people who might be listening to us, I encourage people to look at a website called Nuke Map, M-A-P, like a map you would read. And this uh, website allows you to uh, experiment and put a detonation of a nuclear weapon, any yield, air, ground, or subterranean burst, in any place in the world, it can pick your hometown if you want to have a full imagination of a full understanding of where the uh, damage goes. But hundreds of miles, no, people will not be dying of nuclear radiation hundreds of miles. They won't be dying of nuclear radiation uh, tens of miles from the, from the actual target if this is a tactical nuclear weapon. If uh, the, the downwind, in other words, if the, uh, for example, if you do an airburst of a, of a nuclear weapon, you minimize the amount of dust and dirt that you kick up into the atmosphere, 
which can then carry the radiation. Uh, if you minimize that, the the, the downwind plume is, is not very uh, dangerous. It's certainly not dangerous to the areas that are upwind from that explosion. In your estimation, what would the U.S. slash NATO response be to such a detonation? Well, we've been pretty clear uh, with Russia that uh, uh, we will not respond with a nuclear weapon and we will not have, the United States anyway, has said we will not have American soldiers killing Russian soldiers. So with those two very uh, clear policy statements made by the U.S. president uh, and other senior leaders in the, in the, in the government, uh, you, you have to pick and choose from the remaining uh, um, responses, things like sanctions, things like uh, increased support to Ukraine. Do you not feel like in the real world scenario of that actually happening, those statements might crumble pretty quickly? If there's a nuclear bomb detonated on European soil, you feel like uh, there will not be sort of commitment to earlier statements might not matter so much, would be in a whole new world. What I think would happen uh, since we're doing the what if uh, game is that uh, what I think would happen is the United States would change its policy going forward, but would not respond to the first tactical nuclear weapon with a nuclear response. I think it's possible that the United States and the West would be shocked and and uh, alarmed to the degree that they would say, okay, we know we have been uh, cautious up to now, but if you do this again, Russia, then our responses will change. We will, all things will be on the table. We probably won't try to commit to one or the other, but we will say things like, some people have suggested destroying the Black Sea Fleet. But well, uh, that's a great thing to put on the table, and the Russia would take that seriously. Uh, but it's not on the table right now. Different listeners would have will have different responses to this. Probably a good number of them will be will be skeptical. But for those of them who take it more seriously, what do you think the the practical implication of this should be? I mean, what how would you like U.S. or Western policy to to change? if you take the nuclear threat more seriously, put it that way. I just want to be clear that I believe that many people can take this threat seriously and not agree with me. And I don't want to belittle their uh, positions or their beliefs at all. Uh, what I'm saying is that it's likely and therefore urgent that we be doing something. So you're asking the very most important question here. So what is that, Kevin? What is it that we should be doing? First, we should be preparing our military to operate and to be stationed and, and survive on a nuclear battlefield. Uh, we have those skills. We can resurrect them. We are doing some things already, but we need to do more. And we need to make it more uh, a, a more frequent part of our training. The second is we can do many things to prepare for damage from this and the harm that this uh, such a strike would come, cause. We need to increase the kinds of medical support and specialize uh, after, uh, after the explosion kinds of steps that, that will be needed uh, by the civilians, not only the military, but by the people who've been affected by this. And we need to 
we need to revisit our policy. You you hit on this earlier. Uh, and I'm saying that the U.S. has made it clear it's not going to fight in a World War III. But after the bomb goes off and after we see what's happening, uh, we need to be flexible enough to revisit our policy statements and, and make sure that this one or two tactical nukes that might be used in the war now uh, don't escalate into something bigger for Ukraine and certainly bigger for uh, Europe. What are the scenarios you think are most likely to lead to this threat? I mean, you mentioned pretty much if Russia feels like it's losing, but that that puts Ukraine and the West in a bit of a difficult situation because victory, by your calculus, is the most dangerous thing. So what do you want to see happen, if not victory? What I believe is going to happen, I, I don't want any of this to happen. Uh, what I, but I, what I want is, is uh, not the point here. What I think is going to happen is that if Ukraine has success in taking back large parts of the land that Russia's taken from it, if Ukraine could threaten to take back large parts of Crimea or, uh, or the entire area, that this would be a red line for Russia that Putin would not it would take some drastic step before those things fully happened. As they were happening, he would try to influence the situation so that they did not happen. And the only way that he could do that now is to say to his military leaders, I want you to escalate the violence, escalate the fighting, do a better job, win this war on the ground. And they would say, we're trying, but we can't. And so, Mr. Putin, our only other option is to use a nuclear weapon. So I think when we see Ukraine having tremendous success in this region, this is the time to be most uh, watchful for a nuclear weapon, because I think that will be Putin's go-to uh, step. What do you think the safest medium-term outcome is then? What should we be wishing for? Is it frozen conflict, as some people talk about, where there's not much movement either way? Uh, is it some kind of deal? What do you, where should the U.S. go? I think in this case, we're, we're not talking about a nuclear event for the rest of the world. We're focused really on Ukraine and, and uh, what happens there. And the United States has said, and I believe it's the right policy, that we want Ukraine uh, to ultimately get its territory back either by uh, military means or by negotiation. Uh, the United States has said many times to President Zelensky, uh, you know, we will support you if you choose to negotiate. We will, we are ready for you to negotiate if, if that's what you want to do. Um, but we're not in a position, and neither do we want to as a national policy, dictate to Ukraine when that time comes that they would negotiate or when that time comes that they would stop the fighting from their side and say, this is enough, we're, we're finished uh, with, with the killing and the fighting and we want to talk now. You know, I think we're waiting for Ukraine to get to that point. Russia, I think, is at that point. I think Russia, for all its size and power, they're ready to take a ceasefire. They would be happy. They would be, they would be uh, ready to accept 
the, the status quo right now, having taken essentially 20% of Ukraine and created a land bridge, et cetera, et cetera. I think Putin and others would be okay with that. Uh, Shaigu, the Minister of Defense, has said that. But the Ukrainians would not. No, they would not. It's their country, as they see it, which has suddenly been invaded. And, and you know, fair enough, they don't want to just say, okay, keep it. So I guess the, the, quest, the question has to be, if you're right in this very speculative world, if you're, if you're right that the nuclear threat is at least higher, significantly higher than people are giving it credit for, how should that alter Western strategy? Or maybe it doesn't. What, what, what would your message be to you know, NATO leaders for what do we do tomorrow? What do we do in a week's time? My message to them is that the, that the era of no nuclear weapons being used on a battlefield may be over. And we should start thinking about all of our responses in that context. We should be thinking, okay, yesterday a nuclear weapon was used in Ukraine and this happened and this was destroyed and this many people died. And today Ukraine is facing its question, what to do going forward? Uh, so NATO, what should we do going forward? How should we change what maybe, maybe we should you know, some people will will argue we should uh, settle. We should uh, uh, seek peace with Russia. Uh, we should force, quote unquote, Ukraine to uh, uh, to quit uh, its war uh, or it's defending itself. Other people will take the other side. Which is right? What What is the right way forward? Uh, that's not for me to say, but that's for certainly for NATO to start thinking about. Retired Brigadier General Kevin Ryan, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much, Ray. Well, I certainly hope he's wrong and that we never find out either way. For the record, I have no idea how plausible such an attack might be. My instinct is that when you start to spell out the real world implications, it does not seem possible no matter who the president of Russia is. But we want to get all perspectives on this channel, particularly those that are not well represented elsewhere. And Kevin Ryan certainly has the CV that demands, at the very least, to be taken seriously. Thanks for tuning in. This was Unheard. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.